Hi guys, welcome to Belief Alchemy with Megan O'Neill. Every week I'll be sitting down to interview visionary women who will teach us how to have a more magical mindset and to create greater possibility in our lives and in our business. So my guest today is Pamela George. I'm really excited. You are my second guest, by the way. So wow. I'm so pleased. I know. So I'm so pleased to have you today. Um, you know, Pamela and I haven't known each other for a long time, but I feel like we're a bit kindred spirits. So it's even more of a pleasure to have you on today. And I just want to start by, by you introducing yourself. Tell us a bit about yourself, Pam. Okay. Hi, everyone. So my name is Pamela George. I'm a financial literacy and credit counselor. And usually when I say that, everybody's question right after is, what does that mean? So what I do, I help my clients figure out their money situation. So um, if you have uh, problems with debt, uh, budgeting, savings, just want to get on top of your finances, I can help you with that. Excellent. And you know, the key, the key word that I really like in your title is literacy. And we're going to get to how that's been a big part of your life too. But I think, um, you know, this show, as you know, is about beliefs, but it's also about how can beliefs help us become more empowered in our lives. So I'm really excited to, to talk to you a bit about your life. Um, for anybody who's listening, they can tell that you're not a Canadian born, right? You no, are. My accent, you can tell. Yes. <laughs> you have a trace of Trinidadian yes. accent. Mm -hmm. So when did you come to Canada? I came to Canada from Trinidad and Tobago in 2007. Oh, it's not that long. No, no. no. That's why the strong accent is still there. Yeah. So you are, what, the second generation in Trinidad or the third? Um, so my grandparents were Indian immigrants. So they came from India to work on the sugarcane plantation when slavery was abolished. Oh, so that is the history. Because I did not know too yeah. much about Trinidad. I mean, I've always known Trinidadians because I grew up in Toronto and there's mm -hmm. a lot of people from the Caribbean. Yeah. Um, but I didn't understand why there was some people who were Indian descent and then some people who were African descent. Yeah. So when slavery was abolished, they, uh, the plantation owners needed workers to work the fields, the sugarcane fields. So they brought in, uh, indentured workers from India. And the, the idea was that they'll work for seven years and then they'll get their return trip back to India, which never really happened. Um, they negotiated and they, some of them got a bit of land in, instead. And that's what my grandparents did. And then my mom and my uncle was born in Trinidad. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. And so one of the things that you told me about, which I thought was really interesting, because I'm always looking at how does our history, how does our legacy inform our beliefs. You know, um, I'm Irish descent. So even though we have been in Canada for many, many years, there's still some, some interesting Irish beliefs, if you want to put it that way. Um, one of my Irish friends the other day was, was talking about the superstition and my husband always makes fun of me because he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I just, I guess I'm just superstitious. And that's really well known. Apparently Irish people are superstitious. When you think about, um, being, a, you know, someone from Trinidad who is Indian versus someone from African, is there different beliefs? Like, do you think there's different beliefs because you came differently or? Um, I think so. I, I think, um, so indentured workers came. It was, 
it was a choice, I, I believe. Now, whether that choice was between a rock and a hard place, who knows, yeah. right? But with, with slavery, as you know, there was no choice. It was forced labor. It was awful, awful, right? But um, I keep thinking about my grandmother. So she would have been single when she, she came as an indentured worker. And, and I wonder, so she would have been maybe in her middle to late teens. And I am thinking, what Indian woman back in the day, in the, what, the early 1900s maybe, would leave her home? And, and, the, and what that represented, the security and the familiarity of an Indian home back then, no education, no nothing, and you board a ship that's taking you to a place. And, and there's this name, it's called um, uh, Kali, Namakali, I can't remember the name, but they, they call the voyage uh, Black Water. It's the ocean, right? So yeah. they, um, they cross the, the ocean and, and they're going in this unknown place. And I'm thinking, what? I mean, what? Indian woman back in the day, young woman like that would do something like that. And I, 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 I dream up, I'm a storyteller, right? So I come up with all sorts of ideas. Was she running away from home? Was she in love with some boy and they decided to take this trip together? Could that boy have been my grandfather? Mm -hmm. I come up with all these things. Oh, was she, was she fleeing from abuse? Yeah. You know, all these things come to mind. I've never met her. Huh. She died way before I was born, but I, I, I can't help but think. It's not that she moved here with the whole family and they brought her in. It wasn't that. So I, I, I don't know what the story is. And, you know, I, I mean, when we think back about what we know of our history, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think you can see it in the way that you grew up and maybe what you were taught by your mom or your dad. What do you think that her legacy was, having traveled over the sea to the unknown world? I think she had, I feel in my bones that she had an adventurous spirit. Mm -hmm. I, I do. I, I feel that she was the strong-willed woman, adventurous, who, who if she wanted something, she'll make it happen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and if that's the case, then my mother had that same thing, that same DNA, same blood running through her veins, right? My mother was very, always independent, self-sufficient, very bright. Couldn't read or write, but very, very bright. And she would go after what she wanted. And again, so back in the day, Indian woman in Trinidad, that's my mother, the things that she would have done back then, um, I could imagine she might have been the talk of the village, right? Because she did things her own way. She was married off when she was, I think, 12 or 13. Uh, and the, her husband, her first husband might have been like 18. And I, I remember her telling me, uh, I got, so I was about 18 or so. And I remember, so my mom was not too well. And I came home from work and my mother, she, she said, come, I want to talk to you. And I, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she was watching Oprah. <laughs> and um, she said to me, she said, I think I was raped. Right? Yeah. I'm like, what? I'm thinking somebody came into yeah. the apartment. What's yeah. going on? And she said, no, she was watching TV. And she think her husband raped her. Huh. 
right? Yeah. Uh, based on what she just heard on TV, because this is new language for right. her, right? Of course, yeah. Anyway, all that to say, and then she explained what happened. Uh, she was 12 or 13, and um, her, hus her husband, she only met him the day of the wedding, by uh -huh. the way. And um, then I guess at the night or whatever, he forced himself on, himself on her. So that is what she was trying yeah. to say to me, yeah. right? Um, so there was that. But at, I think by the time she was 18 or 19, she had five kids. Can you imagine? Oh, no. And he was cheating on her. He had another family, another woman with kids around the same age. <laughs> So when she found out, she left. She took her five kids and she left. And that's what I was saying. She was a talk of the village because um, back then, an Indian woman leaving her husband is unheard of. And leaving your husband and, and leaving with your five kids, that, that's unheard of. So I, all that to say, I feel, I feel that adventurous. That the, the, the woman in my family that bloodline, I feel we have some adventure in us. <laughs> yeah. and, and I have it. I have it as well. I see it. I feel it. That sense of um, if I want something, I'm going to go after it. Well, and, and it's amazing. To me, what is utterly amazing about your mom is not the fact that she was so young. And I mean, there's so, there's so much in that and so much that she must have had so much ingenuity. But that she created her own business yeah she she supported these five children and she didn't know how to read or write and that's why i was talking about the literacy i mean yeah. you and i take it for granted we've never probably remember a time where we didn't read or write or didn't understand and your mother managed to create and support you know until i guess until she had you know until everything fell apart yeah. so yeah. when was that pam so she she had this roti shop and for all the Trinis or the folks who know about Trinidadian cuisine, it's a wonderful curry dish. Yeah. Um, and she could cook. So she decided, again, she can cook. And she decided she's going to make a living by doing that. And we lived right opposite a factory in Trinidad with, with you know, a couple hundred workers. So she opened this little cafe, roti shop thing. And workers would come there and have lunch. And she made good money. Right, she did that. Um, I, I look back now and I'm thinking, how did she keep an inventory? How did she know how much flour? And I, I, I don't because I mean the people she would have interacted with, like her, the the wholesale people she would buy stuff from. She had to really trust them because yeah. it would have been so easy. But you know, I laugh and say this, but she didn't read or write. But, oh my gosh, she could count money really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> there was this time she sent me in the shop to buy um, salted cod. Yeah. And <laughs> I love salted cod. <laughs> Those new Finlanders know what I'm talking yeah. about. I hope there's a Finlander listening yeah. to this podcast. <laughs> anyway, um, and I thought, I got back change, and I thought, she can't read or write. So I must have been like about 10. And it re I realized at that point she couldn't read or write. So I could spend 25 cents. She wouldn't know. And I bought a little cake. I love cakes. Even now, <laughs> I bought a little cake and I ate it before I got home. I gave her the change, gave her the salted card, and she looked at it and she's like, this is not all the money. And I lied. And I said, he must have given me wrong change or whatever. She held me by my hand and walked back to the <laughs> shop. 
<laughs> and me, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, she could count money. And I think maybe that's why I'm so good with literacy, money literacy. Yeah. I can whip up a budget in five minutes. I keep saying that. You know, I, I love doing budgets. Anybody have problems? I'm like, give me 10 minutes. Let's sit together and I'll pull out a budget for you. So your mother did this, then at one point the business was lost. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. So she was doing well. Uh, she had her house built without a mortgage or anything, doing well. Um, her older children married and went off. She just had the younger ones now. And she even remarried, eh? so she remarried my dad. And she had four more kids, so nine children in all. Um, my father, I didn't really know him. I mean, I knew of him. I saw him around. He lived in the house, but it was very like living separate lives. And it was quite obvious that she did her own thing. And she would say that she would say he was the laziest man she'd ever known. <laughs> he was the laziest man she'd ever known. And if she wanted anything, she had to go get it herself. And she did. She did not depend on him for anything. And I have that in me too. I have never, as, as, as long as I can remember, once I was able to stand on my own two feet, I've stood on my own two feet, never depended on anyone. And um, again, I see that running through our blood, right? Our veins. Anyway, she took care of herself. She was doing well. But I guess around maybe in the 40s, I mean, I... I'm 50 now, so I look back and I'm thinking, yeah, at 40, something happens with us women, eh? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe she started to feel lonely. Maybe she was wondering what her future would look like. I don't know. But she met someone and she fell in love. Yeah. And he really took advantage of her. I guess he figured out she couldn't read or write. But anyway, this house that she had built with the business and everything, she sold it. Um, her older kids and extended family said to her, don't do that. You can't sell your things and just move in with this man. And she did not listen. And she did. And she took the money and she built this massive house on his land and didn't sign any papers, didn't do a job, a contract, did nothing. And when the house was finished, built within a month or two, he literally threw us out on the streets. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, and um, we'd stay by neighbors, stay by friends for a couple, you know, for a week or so, and then they'll get fed up of us. So my mother would go back and beg, you know, and, and he'd take us back in until another month or two would pass and he'd throw us out again. Oh. And that went on for years until when she finally left. Um, that's when we were homeless for about, I think it was about a year and um, you know staying at people's house staying in their spare bedroom um, the longest we stayed was six months in somebody's garage and basically it was a little old shack three of us lived in a, in a something that's smaller than a one bedroom smaller than a bedroom yeah. so maybe 10 by 12 or something I don't know um, but I Going through all that hard times, I, I always felt in my bones that this is just temporary. Yeah. I always was able to find hope. I was always able to say, imagine a future where <clears throat> I was happy, where I was successful, where I wasn't being taken advantage of, where I had a home. 
that type of thing. I always, whatever, I, I can't tell you what that was, but I knew that at that point, this is temporary and my future is going to be better. And so, I mean, it makes listening to what you do now, helping women to understand budget is just, you know, one aspect of it. I mean, your work is about helping women to become more empowered, yes. to have a better relationship with their money and to become literate. And, you know, if you think about it, when we think about sort of the enlightenment or we think about people being, you know, with the, with the um, creation of the Gutenberg Bible, you know, when they, all of a sudden we could read on our own and reading was taught to us, there was a whole different way in which we interacted in the world. And that's what you do in your work. And, you know, when you think about your childhood and all the beliefs that you had to overcome, what do you feel like the biggest one was that you had to overcome? Well, first of all, I didn't know I had to overcome anything. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought, I you just thought, thought that was normal. I thought that was normal. I didn't know I was poor. Oh, okay. I did not know I was poor. I, I still remember um, every Sunday, my mother would send me to this meat shop um, a little after lunch and they'll, I'll go and I'll ask for a bag of, I, there was a special name for it. I can't remember. And I'll go and I'll buy it and I'll bring it home and she'll cook Sunday lunch. And this time I went and as I was walking into the lane, he said, sorry, sweetie, um, all the dog food is finished. I'm uh. like, dog food? I didn't come for dog food. <laughs> but what it was, what it was yeah. in Trinidad, we cook liver and gizzard yeah. and, and neck of the chicken and stuff like that. And that's what my mother would have sent me to buy every week. Right. And she'll cook it and it would taste so good with some rice and peas and whatever, right? Some hot and sauce, of course. Right, and hot sauce. Yeah. So um, at that point, I'm like, well, he's stupid. Why is he calling it dog food? I was, I, it did not occur to me that I was poor and at no other time did I think I was poor. It was, it's what we knew. It's, yeah. But when I, what I knew was that I was sad. That's what I knew. I was sad and um, I wanted to smile like the other kids were smiling and I couldn't. That's what I knew. But even then, I, I just... I was, I have this, I have a really vivid imagination and I think maybe that saved me, but I would escape my present sadness. And as I look back now, I think it was anxiety and depression, right? Um, but I was able to, to remove myself from that and look forward to a future where I had a job and I had a safe home. I had a home where I can be safe and warm and protected. And that motivated me because if I can envision that, in my mind, it was imagination, right? But if I wanted that, I have to do things to get it. So I had to study hard in school. I had to know, I had to not waste money. I had to save what, so stuff like that. In my own way, I was planning for the future that I wanted. And you were... I guess you were gaining all the skills that you have now and that you're teaching other people. Yeah. Without realizing I was, yeah, in a very, very informal yeah. way. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think everybody who really enjoys what they do somewhere in their childhood, something about them naturally comes out. And then childhood also, like for me, I had always, um, had always been fascinated with people's history. Mm -hmm. And you know, a lot of what I do is looking for beliefs and they're in your, your, your beliefs are your history. 
Yeah. So you ended up going into the financial world. You didn't end up immediately being a financial or a you know financial literacy person. You what? What did you do in the well, interim? Oh my gosh. So I had to drop out of school, high school for a year earlier because my mom got sick and she passed away and all of that. But I have done so many jobs. I worked in sales. I, I would do sales Monday to Friday and Sunday. I would work as a maid, as a cleaner, yeah. cleaning toilets, ironing, that type of thing. And I did that for years, did lots of odd jobs. But from age 17, I was responsible for taking care of my mom and my younger sister. Oh. Right? So I had to find work. There was no, and there's no socials. I mean, there, I'm, there are social services that are available in Trinidad, I suppose. <laughs> but you have to be so down and out, and it takes years to get it. Right. So if I were to go and say, oh, I need social help, I need social welfare, it's called, um, they'll look at me and say, but you can work, go find a job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they'll say. Right. So I didn't even bother. And, and I would maybe I would like to think that I didn't want to do that, but it was just not an option. Uh, so I just worked. I did different types of things, sales. I worked um, as an admin for many years and uh, then I got through to work for the tourism. So every job was a little bit better, yeah. right? And that felt really good. Um, then I worked with tourism industry in Trinidad. Then I got through and I got a fantastic job with, a, with London School of Commerce. And um, from there, it just got better and better. And then I, from the London School of Commerce, I got massive experience with them, good credentials, good. It, it looked so good on my resume. Um, went back to Trinidad and, and realized, no, I think I want to migrate. I want to live abroad because I got the taste of living outside of Trinidad when I was working for the London School of Commerce and met someone Canadian, got married, moved to Canada and um, got here, got through. I couldn't get a job when I got here. Yeah. <laughs> it was with all my, all my British degree and all of that, couldn't get a job. So I worked as a residential counselor, which is working with um, disabled persons. So I worked with them for a while, and then I got through with Algonquin College. And so that. when did you end up going into financial literacy? At Algonquin College, I was a financial aid officer. Huh. And for the first time, I am seeing how much debt people have. Mm. Because in Trinidad, it, you don't have access to all that credit. In, in Canada, I, I could not believe it. I, I would have a student who is 19 years old and outside of student debt, he has like, you know, four, five, six thousand dollars $6,000 in debt already. I was stunned. Yeah, and I, I, what I think is really interesting is that when I have seen you give talks and when I have seen you do workshops with people and you know, part of that is, is getting really, really familiar with your numbers, one of the things that I have found is that people are really afraid to look at their numbers. They're really afraid to look at what they're spending money on. And one of our conversations that we had was you saying that people's values are reflected in what they spend money on. And you know, for me, values is just another word for beliefs. Mm -hmm. So your experience has been that people are, what do you think they believe about keeping a budget, about debt? What do you think they believe? I, I think um, the word budget stresses out 
people a lot. And we have this culture where we don't even want to use the word budget because it's too stressful. Well, a budget is a budget. You need a budget. <laughs> a budget is not a spreadsheet. And, um, but what I also find is that um, there's too much, we get caught up in, in society expectations and keeping up with the Joneses. Because when you're doing, when you're trying to keep up with the Joneses, it doesn't matter whether you're spending more than you're bringing in. The point is you just want to because you've got to keep up with them. Society says that we have to have one or two vacations a year. Well, you will do it. And, and you don't want to do a budget because your budget will tell you probably you can't afford that. Maybe you can do one every two years, right? Um, doing a budget will tell you that maybe you can't start post-secondary school this September, but maybe you can start next year if you work for a year. And people don't want that because the budget will say to them, listen, slow down or wait a little bit, or you can't afford it. People don't want to hear you can't afford it anymore. Because that is, that's a phrase, the credit card has taken that away from us. Right. I cannot afford this. Parents get anxiety attacks when they have to tell their children, we cannot afford this. And saying that to a child is such a crucial lesson. But the child never hears it. So they grow up thinking that they can afford everything. And they can afford it whether they're working for the money or not because there's the credit card that they can fall back on. Yeah. And I mean, what's really interesting, I think, about about your work is not only that you're you're teaching women in particular about what their limits are and what, you know, I guess if you want to call it limits, but maybe their misconceptions, maybe limits is not the right word. Maybe they're misconceptions. misconceptions. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that, and, and one of the things that I have often talked about, and you know this, is that we have this relationship with money, this emotional relationship with money, where we give it a lot of power. And we give it the power to define who we are. So if I can't buy the iPad, we were joking about the iPad for my kids because it's $500, then that's a commentary on me, that I'm making it about me as opposed to just what you would look at, which is just as numbers. I, I try to tell my clients that your numbers, your budget, your, your income, it has to relate to your values. You love that word values, all right? I, I say to my clients, you look at your spending as it is right now. Is your spending aligned with your values? And let me give you an example of what I mean. So I don't own a car. And I don't own a car, one, I think it's too expensive. Two, I think by not owning a car, I am doing my little bit to help the environment. Yeah. And those are my values. I don't want to spend unnecessary money and I don't want to damage the environment. As, in, in, in any little way, I try not to, and that's my way of doing it. That is reflected in my budget when I don't have a budget for, for car ownership. That's what I mean when I say. So I do value, however, I do value, um, as an example, traveling once a year and seeing a part of the world that I've never been to. So I have a travel budget and that is where I will spend my money. There are people who would say to me, I spend, I would see it, I would do a budget and it's $250 in coffees. And I would say, what is it about coffee that is so important to you that you spend $250 in coffee? Let's talk about your values. Let's talk about your goals. Let's talk about what you want. What do you really want? And see if we can redirect some of that 200 and Not all of it, right? Because there's some joy in sitting and drinking a nice cup of coffee at, at, at one of those coffee shops. But let's take some of it and get it aligned with something that you value.
And that's, that's the core of my work, really. Yeah, and so what I'm hearing from you is, is when you sit down and do a budget, which you have on your website, right? You have a, a, a budget that people can, can go to when I, in the show notes. But what I'm hearing from you is that when you look and do your budget and look at what you spend your money on, say it's coffee or say it's lunches out, that you just reorganize it so maybe you spend less in some areas and things you don't really value. Like you don't value the car, so you would take the $250 payment for the car and you would put it toward roti lunches with your friend yes. Megan. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. So that's Correct. really what the power is of the literacy. The power is having more choice. The power is making a choice where it doesn't make you have anxiety, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. debt, you know, because you were a debt counselor. Yes. Like one of your other jobs, one of your many, many jobs, yes. was that you understand the anxiety that it causes people. So... I know that you have to run and, and counsel people about their financial literacy. But one thing that I wanted to ask you before I let you go is, you know, through all the things that you have been, and you just a couple of years ago launched into being a financial literacy uh, counselor and you're on your own and you left what I call the normal nine to five world. And now you have your own service-based business. Mm-hmm. So you've had to, to, in many ways, you've had to kind of jump off that ship of security, right? Yes. You didn't, the, you know, you kind of lost when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. How have you coped with that? Because I think that's the biggest mindset block, one of them that I have um, amongst my clients and my friends. Okay, so I loved getting paid every two weeks. I love the security of that. Security means a lot to me. My money, the, the biggest meaning for money to me is security not enjoyment, the security, right? And to walk away from that with, and, and hopefully go somewhere that's happy and, and fulfilling as in my own business. I'm like, what do I do? And I struggled for a few months. I even went to some counseling. I went to a counselor. I paid her and I said, listen, I need you to help me figure this out. And, um, and she helped me with the emotional stuff that, you know, why money means so much security for me. So she helped me to soften that a little bit, right? And, um, and, and, and appreciate other things that money is about, not just security. So we worked on that. But one of the re- main reasons that I was able to just jump into this business and feel secure doing it is um, I had an emergency fund. So it goes back again to the, the practical stuff. I did not want to take a loan to start a business on financial literacy and credit counseling. The irony is just too much. I wasn't going to do that. I'm not going to go into debt to start a business about getting people out of debt. No, I like to say I walk the walk. So I didn't take a loan or anything. So, but I did have six months emergency fund for, for, you know, and that could, that's all my living expenses six months so I know if my business this new business did not bring in money for six months I'm good to go I can still survive I can still it would not affect my my lifestyle or anything and of course you know in six months obviously I started to bring in money and I was able to rebuild my emergency fund and all of that but it was having that security of an emergency fund so what you know through all of your jobs and all through all your life experiences because you know we are accumulation of everything that we have experienced and, you know, we gain through all the, the adversity and, you know, being so responsible at such a young age. What do you think your beliefs are now or a belief that guides you in your life? I deserve everything good and beautiful. 
Ooh, I love that, Miss Pamela. That is beautiful. Yeah. yeah. If it's good and it's beautiful. I deserve it. And that's not just what money could buy, but the beautiful yellow tree that I'm seeing outside there and, and, and people like you and, and everything good and beautiful. I deserve that. Oh, that's wonderful. I love it. Yeah. So I just want to, um, I just want to tell anybody who maybe is struggling in their life with debt and they feel lost and they feel like there's nobody to help them. I just wanted to let them know about you and I'm going to leave their information and they can um, jump on a call and talk to you and get some information about how you help people to get out of the vicious cycle and really empower them around money. But um, I think what you do is amazing. I'm so happy that there's people like you and that really you, you, you kind of always were meant to do this, really, if you kind of listen to the history of your life. I thought I was being set up for all those years so I can do this at this yep. very moment. The universe yeah. has created a life in which it led you to help people the way yes. you do now. And I so strongly believe that, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Miss Pamela. Thank so you very much. I, I love it. Thank you so much. And um, I'm going to include your information for anybody who really does need to talk to you. And I encourage anybody to talk to Pam. She's amazing. Yeah, and I offer a free 30-minute call. And um, I have my financial breakthrough program that starts in January. Registration is now on. So, yeah, book a free call. Ooh, excellent. <laughs> Thank you, Pam. Thank you, Megan. Take care. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed our guest today as much as I did. If you are interested in connecting on social media, then I am on Facebook and LinkedIn, Megan O'Neill Core Beliefs. Or if you are thinking this is the time for you to empower your mindset and expand your life and business, you can find me at meganoneal.ca. Have a great rest of the day.